0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Mix and Matchbox. I'm your host, Brent Feldman. And today we are actually joined by Nathan Hawks. He's the president of Arcane Marketing and, uh, and looking forward to talking to Nathan here. So hi, how are you doing?
1: Hey, fantastic. I
0: appreciate
1: you reaching out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and this, this is no secret, but, uh, you and I have known each other for years and years and years, uh, all the way back, uh, since you were at netmark and, uh, and it's funny, uh, I've gotten to see, you know, obviously the, the changes in, you know, now your, your company and what you're doing. And obviously you've seen, uh, you know, changes in matchbox and our growth over years. So it's, it's cool that we're still,
1: uh, you know, chatting and talking together. Definitely. I, you know, I was at Netmark for, I think a little, well, around nine years or it was like eight and a half years or something like that. And I've just passed that mark in owning arcane marketing. So uh, it's interesting to see how things have formed and shaped. And as you of I have kept in touch over the last, you know, what is that? 18 years or so, uh-huh. uh, uh, how the the services you guys offer and what you do have changed also
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah but it's uh it's fun it's fun you don't always get those kind of relationships that span over this kind of period of time so it is it's neat to have that actually uh i'm curious and i'll I'll hit you with the you know some of the normal questions and stuff uh because i got a few prepared here and hopefully we'll be able to you know do some like you know open discussion as well um but i i also i just you know i happen to like look at your linkedin and i saw that you had a brief stint uh as you know um uh in in the utah aerospace and defense Association association. Um, how did, how did that happen?
1: So we were invited to be part of the, um, the world trade organization in Utah. Now Idaho falls is in the Southeast corner of Idaho. That's where we reside, but Utah is kind of in our backyard. And I would say they say the same thing about us. It's down the, the I-15 corridor, but Utah Valley is a, is a big tech area. And the World Trade Organization there is, I think, one of the best ones in the world. It's similar to the World Trade Organization, like with the Twin Towers that you know about from New York. Anyhow, uh, as we were uh, making relationships and networking and doing business there on the World Trade Center, um, part of the of the committee there, one of the guys uh, decided to... Uh, break off and make a new organization from something he and a few of his friends have been working on for a couple of years. They called it the Utah aerospace and defense association. And we were pretty good uh, friends and had some good associations. Um, by the way, they've recently, I think in the last six months have changed their name from the Utah aerospace and defense association to a new title. Now they call themselves 47 G and the idea behind it was interesting so as they had as we all had our relationships the world trade organization they wanted to specifically help and find better representation and a better voice for all of the aerospace and uh intelligence agencies in utah which there's quite a few if i remember right there was something like 5,000 companies that are all within arm's length in those industries. And that could be in the military, or it could be in aerospace, or it could be in just in um, flights, domestic flights, or it could be in uh, some of the government. And and that meant even some of the schools. And so there was an intelligence piece that wanted to just bring more recognition to them. And that's how this 47G was, was founded. So They, we had a a group of people at the beginning that needed to get this off the ground. And so I was invited to be a part of that. And, uh, about once a week, I attended a, a couple of meetings. Uh, once a month I was down, uh, being there in person meeting and rubbing shoulders with some of the, the political leaders and the governor of Utah and got to a point where I think that I had done just about everything I, that I, uh, could do it was not a paid position; it was a volunteer type of a thing, and there were there were people who uh, really, really, really were passionate about doing it, and they lived right there, and and I lived three and a half hours away, so it wasn't always easy for me to to get there. But uh, took it as far as I could, and then sort of just passed the baton off. And uh, it was a great experience; met some really great people, and uh, you, we say a, a brief stint. It was about oh, I'd say about a year, maybe a little over a year that that was something that I, that I helped with and I was proud to help where I did and got them off. And now it seems like they are doing really well. They've, they've grown by leaps and bounds. They have a lot of staff members now and, and uh, in-house people. So it was a fun organization to be a part of. It was a 501c3. That's cool. So they, uh they're, they're, they represent a lot of good things. there over in Ukraine, getting some of the defense contracts and and they're over in uh, various places around the world, trying to help where they can. And there's a lot of great resources out of Utah. So that's that's how that started.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, uh, it makes me think of all all dad puns about um, uh, about aerospace that you're you know getting getting it off the ground or help them take flight. Uh, it's- Sorry, those are just bad, bad dad jokes just waiting in the back of my mind for that. But that is really cool. It's <laughs> such a unique, you know, kind of piece in your in your resume. Um, but I know that, you know, for you and me, as you know, along the lines that we've kind of talked for years and years and years, you've been imbe- embedded in like, you know, the, the kind of like SEO space uh, for most of your career. And um, what what is it really about SEO that like kind of keeps you interested?
1: You know, I, I've thought about this a few times, kind of gone down that rabbit hole myself. I think that the idea of digital marketing is fun. And I really, I think what I like is the opportunity to help people who don't necessarily know all the answers or who are busy doing other things and actually having an impact on their businesses and, and by and large their lives. And yes, it's true. You know, we get paid to do it and it's a, it's not always an easy topic. It's something that requires a lot of depth of knowledge and, and expertise, <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, there are, there are a lot of interesting, uh, aspects to it that some of them can be complex and some of them are actually quite simple. And I think making something that is complex, simple for someone and then showing them how it works. Uh, Is fun. I always think that it's fun to tell people here's what you're missing out on, here's what this could look like, and then they trust you, and then you do just everything you said you would, and it gets really exciting. And watching that change people and businesses, and I, you know, one of the questions I've always asked people because I always feel like on my end, I've always appreciated the relationships part of digital marketing. And I know that not everybody feels that way. There are people that are just, let's get in, get the job done. And uh, whatever happens, happens. And, and I just feel like that there's a lot of personal involvement in it, especially because a lot of people that I get to interact with are entrepreneurs themselves. They, they have a lot of sacrifices. I can only empathize and sympathize with them as to the blood, sweat and tears that it takes. And then when you finally start to see the successes take off, uh, it's amazing. And there are some really good people. I think that I get to see some of the best of people out there. Um, and, and here's what keeps me drawn in is number one, after doing it for 18 years at this point, I've seen a lot of success. I've also seen a lot of failures. I found out what works, what doesn't work. And it's funny how the deep-rooted concepts of digital marketing, by and large, don't change. Even though there's an ever-evolving landscape, there are some core pieces that are just as consistent today as they were in 2006 when I got my start. And I would say, at the same time, I get to pass on that knowledge, not only to my clients, we get to educate them along the way, but I have a slew of, of team members and employees that we get to teach those same skills to and watching them come up with really neat and innovative ideas and, uh, things that have just, uh, made me absolutely proud of the type of services we provide. I I think all of that's just really fascinating. And I think that there is a sense of, um, just like any service provider, there are a lot of cases where we're needed. Our expertise is needed and we have that impact. And it is like a hit of dopamine, if you will, when when you get to send off that report of, hey, look, your traffic grew by this percent over the last two, three months, or, or, um, we were able to increase revenue or your lead count, um, you know, what, like, for example, an amazing story, med spa that we work for, uh, hired another digital marketing agency, That they worked with them for about I think 13 or 14 months. And in that entire time, they had spent a couple thousand dollars a month. And it ended up that they, I think from the web, they ended up getting like two or three leads in that whole time. Wow. And, and uh, they decided to take a leap of faith. I think they felt pretty crushed by their hopes and, and the amount of money that had spent with a lack of results. And in just under eight months, we went from getting two or three leads in a, in a total time period to, in one month, creating 44 new appointments for this med spa uh, just in like six or eight months. And it was just fun to see them grow and flourish. And just recently they acquired another med spa and they're growing and they're still our client. And, and it's fun to see because that's a local entrepreneur that started out by making some sacrifices and they do really good work and they genuinely care. And you can see that that shows and it's just helping other people get to to find that out, and I know that our agency was a big part of that, and uh, and they often talk to us, and they're just fun to talk to, and they're thankful, and it makes the job rewarding. It makes it rewarding for me because uh, I get to help other people see that it's rewarding because we get to teach that, and then I think other people get to see the benefits and the of the fruits of of good hard work and good knowledge and uh, so that's kind of what keeps us going i think that's cool that's that's
0: very fun i mean like at the end of the day i mean yeah uh, the efforts of these services could have a dramatic impact on like, you know, how these businesses are able to grow. And so, I mean, yeah, when, uh, and also when, uh, you know, I, I think it's easy for SEOs to be convicted of like, you know, the value, you know, like my, my deep conviction that was like, I've seen it work. I know, you know, that you put the right pieces in place and obviously this stuff can, you know, really perform and, and the visibility can be, uh, yeah, dramatic. Um, so, I. You know, but translating that to somebody, you know obviously there it, it, it's the the skepticism that you get in you know hopefully any buyer and maybe that's good and natural, but it's like yeah, where you get to prove it too and then feel good about like what those results are doing for people. I, I feel like yeah, all those things together I, I, I couldn't agree more that's that that is that is
1: the joy <laughs> you know. And I think there's one other piece on that that I might add in, and that is is that there are just like in any industry and maybe the <clears throat> the couple of them that people, Think of that come to mind are like uh, car salesman, right? There's a stereotypical car salesman. Look, genuinely, there are some good guys that are out there that that I think really care about their customers and their car salesmen. And I think you get a couple of those guys that are kind of sleazy and have the wrong motivations that give everybody a bad name. Maybe it's the same way with lawyers, which we work with a lot of lawyers, so I already know the stigma. And uh, in digital marketing, I think that there are also those places that are just money hungry and they just want to do the work, but they don't really care about the outcome and they just want to get paid. And that's their motivation. And uh, I think the opportunity or let's call it the challenge at hand of changing people's minds, having them give uh, uh, some of their faith and take a step at hiring you, even though they've just had a, a bad experience and then showing them that you know There are good people out there. I, I always joke with our team, and I think they believe it as well. Um, and I'm not saying they believe it. I think that we all live it. But we are, as we tell everybody, we're the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? That, that point feeds...
0: Very, very well into the next uh, question that I got for you, uh, which is like, you know, from a business perspective, it seems like you guys have great ratings, Uh, you provide, you know, great services, pride yourself in long term relationships, Uh, you know, all the hallmarks of, you know, a a good company at work. Uh, And so um, you've done some, you know, sort of like, you know, work for some of the biggest retailers and companies that are really out there, Um, as opposed to, you know, other SEO agencies you know based in bigger markets do you think that there's an operating mantra that's different about you know where you're operating from versus you know a big market SEO agency uh, and and how you guys either think about the customer you know or or the
1: service that you provide? I'd like to think so and I, and I recognize that there are different facets of how things should be handled or how it should work. The way that we've always tried to uh, formulate our agency and, and Brent, I like to think that what we do is similar to a, a model that I got from you and, and Matchbox. And that is, is that we have the capability to handle some big names and prove some phenomenal results at the same time because of what we do and how we do it, where we're located. We're not a corporate company. We're We're small. Uh, We live in Idaho, it is relatively inexpensive to live here. And so our costs of operation are a lot lower, I would say than most other agencies. And we don't, we don't just focus on the money, we will focus on the experience. The none of our clients are any more than just a text message or an email or a phone call away from me, I'm not blocked by our um, project managers and our account managers. Uh, I get involved all the time, whether I want to or not, uh, it, it feels like that I have the opportunity to always do that. The other thing is, is that there isn't anything I don't think that a big agency can provide that we can't. And so the value that you get from us is probably a lot more personalized attention rather than just kind of putting you through the, the process mill uh, you get a little more personalized attention. Yes, we have processes and yes, we've improved on those and and those make a difference but it, with a very personal touch. And I think the thing that you get from an agency like Matchbox and and from us, at least my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot more of a a relationship piece that we're not we're not a vendor. In fact, it, it's funny that I get bothered sometimes when people call us a vendor because I just I'd rather be a friend. I'd rather be that that agency or someone they feel like they can rely on rather than just, uh, well, well, we're going to fire that vendor or, or whatever the case may be. It just feels like it's so impersonal. And so I, I feel like that um, the relationship part's really important. And because we have kind of that smaller boutique agency feel, it's not a big corporate piece that you get a lot more Hand-holding slash, uh, and I would call it, we, we bend over backwards for our clients when it's needed, and it always comes through. And I always tell people, in fact, I was just in a, in a one-on-one with one of my uh, employees yesterday, trying to help a client who has run out of budget, clearly needs a lot of help. They're a small uh, company who are really kind of counting on us to turn things around for them. And, and my, uh, my employee was telling me like, Hey, you know, she's, I, I feel really bad because I want, I don't want to be the cause of this. And I don't want her to feel like she's out of options. What do we do? We're out of budget. And I just said, let's just take care of her. And she looked at me and goes, but that doesn't make any sense. We're going to lose a lot of money on this. And I, and my response was my, my knee-jerk reaction was it's the right thing to do. And, and that's how we handle our clients. We do what's right within the limitations and, and the budget that we have set aside, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. And so oftentimes you get that 110%. Um, I don't think any of my employees have this, well, it's past five o'clock, it's time to go home. So I'll just wrap up tomorrow. I think that everybody has that mentality of let's just work on it until it's done mm-hmm. and make sure that it gets done. So that that's kind of what I feel like that would change between having a big corporate agency that runs off of those very strict rules or that is owned by a, an investment firm or something like that versus kind of this boutique agency feel that, that we, I think you and I both share, I I know I've heard you talk about it and seen it in your other podcasts. And so I, I feel like that you and I are on the same page on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um I really appreciate that and and yeah, I, I definitely I feel like we're on the same page too. The relationship is is so much of uh, you know, the the oh boy, the like almost what we do as a job, is you know, making sure that that relationship stays good and you have to back it up with good work and you know and 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 at the end of the day just a human sometimes you know like i feel like you know th- th- where where things get rough is like you know where the humanity gets extracted out of it and sometimes there are there's challenging situations but you know being accountable uh you know just being uh really just just being a good you know sort of like person at the end of the day sometimes all it's about is just making sure that obviously you're doing the right thing as you said um you know taking care of what needs to be taken care of because it's darn right. It's the right thing to do. Uh, I, I had a, a good conversation just last night with, uh, Tim Leon. Uh, he was actually, I think one of the second, like, or third podcasts I did. And, uh, uh, and he, he's, uh, owner of Guile Leon, uh, agency. And, uh, anyway, and, and we were talking about the same thing It's just that, you know, like it, It's just the right thing to do in situations where, you know, you're like, hey, I know, yeah, either there's a budget conflict, or there's like, you know, kind of like an issue going on. Uh, And sometimes even if like, let's say that you have to disconnect. Um, you know, and some people write their contracts up so that they trap people in or that they've got to pay a certain amount. And you're like, you know what, if a relationship's over, just like make it easy on both sides. I know that obviously that hurts for revenue, but it hurts, you know, it hurts to keep those things sometimes when they're bad too. So it's like, you know, even in those situations where you have to make tough, tough calls and it affects your bottom line, you know, just... Yeah, it's it's about doing what's right. So I I really I pr- I appreciate that ethos cuz it's uh it does. It it helps keep uh I feel like people in positive mindsets about what a relationship can be as opposed to like, you know, where they have bad experiences. And when I when I hear about them, I'm like, "Oh, that sounds awful."
1: <laughs> well, and and I think that there is an important piece behind that. And I get asked this all the time. In fact, I have an interview later today with a guy from another agency that they focus on Paid search and he just wanted to ask me about various challenges they're going through in their startup, which I, I really do genuinely wish them well. And I'm going to offer all the advice. But in a team meeting we had in our office yesterday, uh, we talked about that there are a couple of things that just matter, and and it was an interesting discussion. But we we came to the conclusion and, and everybody was reminded that. First and foremost, if you're a project manager, or account manager, the first rule or responsibility in your role is to build relationships. And I said, you cannot have a meaningful relationship through email and text message. It just isn't going to happen. And so there is a requirement that we have to speak to our clients on the phone. Now, I recognize some clients don't want to talk that much or they're too busy or they don't have that knowledge, and that's fine. And then I also recognize on the flip side that there are clients that all they want to do is talk about what we're doing and all the nit gritty little details and things like that. And so there's a balance that has to be played. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm I'm sure this has been the scenario with, with Matchbox at the same time. But there are a number of times where our agency in the past has come up short, or we failed, or we've dropped the ball, we're human, we're not perfect, we try really, really hard. And the idea is that we learn our lessons. And on numerous occasions, we've come up with a month of reporting that just looked less than stellar. And instead of the client going, okay, that's it, you're done, I'm out. It's kind of like, hey, we had a, we had a stumble this month, but it'll get better next month, right? And it gives us time to correct it. And then we've been able to correct it and keep the relationship rather than just have it all be based off of a performance every single month, month after month. And, and I think that everybody's going to have that human aspect where you're going to do really well some months and some months you'll do not as well. There are so many factors that are out of our control, but uh, I give kudos to some of my clients who have been able to be patient with us in just the same way that, uh, that we're being patient with them. And so that good relationship happens through good communication. And that buys us goodwill with our clients. And I think has contributed to, I don't know, 20% of our recurring revenue as an agency. So it's a big Hmm. deal. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel like it's so
0: important because they understand you're committed to the overarching success of their organization. And I mean, like, you know, everything has their down months, you know, but that is the understanding that like, hey, by our track record, by, you know, what, you know, we can do. It's not, you know, that emphasis doesn't become on the one bad thing. It becomes on the, you know, net of positives and in the, in the belief, the faith, the, you know, trust and understanding that you are, yeah, you're working towards making that difference. So it does get better. So yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, I really want to, I, I I am, you know, I know this has been about, you know, client relationships, and that's super good. But I also want to say that, you know, after you've been running your company now for nine years, I also know that and this is more of an internal thing, you've had a number of business partners. And, uh, and this is something that I feel like is, you know, maybe a good lesson for anybody going into business or, you know, going into business with other people. And I've had uh, I can be super fortunate to say that I've had, you know, a longstanding relationship with my business partner coming up on 18 years of, you know, yeah, being in business with him. And, uh, and really, uh, you know, I, I, I would love your feedback. Cause like, you know, I know that you've had, uh, you know, people that you're in business with not only, you know, kind of here, but also at Netmark. Um, and, and so what do you feel like, you know, a business partner or multiple, par- multiple partners, how does it affect the work, the culture and progress of the company. I know that's a big chunky question, but if you can, sure. speak to Business partners.
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I have been asked this a couple of times in the last year or two uh, by a couple of their podcasters, and and uh, one of them was through a video I did for Agency Analytics. So you can probably catch a lot more of a deep history there. To give a quick synopsis or a background of, uh, of what happened. Uh, you know, I started the agency in 2015 and, uh, in 2019 I, uh, had a, a small partner who had just really done an amazing job for me. And he, he was invested in the company and the growth and the character of, of our brand as much as I was. And so, uh, he had a little piece and then I had some collaborative, other agencies that did other things that that we didn't necessarily focus on that we all decided that we hey we were sharing a couple of the same clients we're all kind of relatively located in the same area we were headed the same direction we have the same morals and values that we should get together and uh and try and make a sort of a super team if you will and rather than anybody getting bought out all of them were given pieces of equity and and uh i thought that we had uh, done a good job at trying to get on the same page and and make some commitments and things like that at one point there were six of us that were equity owners uh, of all various equity portions in arcane marketing so that we could make sure that it was all running as smooth and the people had vested interests and what i have discovered is, is that one by one some of their interests and their hobbies and their passions have changed over time. And today, as it sits, I have one partner. So what that means is that at at some point, four of them uh, have gone away. Uh, Now we've bought them out and, and they're being compensated pretty well for those equity portions that there are pros and cons that happen with it. Number one is i think the world of every one of my ex-partners uh and current partner i think i think that they are all phenomenal people they're very smart very morally driven they do the right things they're good honest people and i hope that i have a, a forever relationship with all of them because i value their insight and their input very intelligent people that put me to shame when it comes to their worth, just super, super good people to be in business with. And, uh, so that was a value is that they had some ideas that were, I would say, alter alternatively a different direction than I was thinking, but they brought some unique insight that I'm easy to be swayed. You know, if given the right, uh, arguments or the right logic, no problem. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, on, on my own, and I'm sure everybody to their own degree is stubborn to a point. And when you've got six people trying to make decisions for a company, that's a lot of, that's a lot of chiefs and, uh, pulling in different directions. And and ultimately we'd always end up with a, a decision and it wasn't a decision that everybody always liked, but we'd always come to a united front. It, that creates some good growth but it also creates some challenges at the same time and one of the things that i always appreciated was the relationships that each of the partners would bring all of them had some really great contacts with people sort of all over the world that ended up helping us in, in our business whether they became a client or someone we hired that helped us to do a little better um, i think that there are a lot of complexities that come with it and when i tell you that people's passions change. It doesn't make them bad people it just means that maybe your visions aren't necessarily aligned and we came to a conclusion with a couple of them that it just didn't make sense for us to continue uh moving at the same direction at the same speed and so made a decision um, as easy or as hard as it is to to buy them out and part ways and uh, ultimately that's ended up being so far a good thing now i miss the daily interaction with the other four partners, because I've, I truly respect the the heck out of those guys. But I'm also excited because it really feels like, since having moved on from these four partners, that our business has simplified, and there's a lot of value in simplicity. And so I think that a couple of pieces, one is personally having those partners were some of the greatest blessings and some of the greatest stresses I've ever felt in my life. (laughs) And, and really they were only uh, in a partnership with us for a grand total with everybody, about four years total. Um, Those were four really great years and four really tough years because in the midst of all of that, we had the COVID pandemic and that created some, I think, unique challenges Now, I don't know if we didn't have the COVID pandemic, um, maybe we would all still be together and and that could have been one of the facets of, of a force that changed people's passions or make them have different realizations. But in internally, um, you know, I think some of our team members really grew, grew close to some of those partners. When those partners went away, I think it was probably, um, shocking. It changes the culture. It, it changes uh, everything about the dynamics of your company. And so I think that that has, for for us, one of the things that has really kind of been the silver lining in the cloud, the dark cloud, when a partner leaves is that it helps us to feel rooted in the fact that we had, or we've always had, four really strong core values and, and how much we really stick to those. And and there could be lots of distracting pieces or 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 things that make us want to go different directions. But as long as we're rooted in those core values, I think our agency has been able to stay consistent and, and the same, and it's been a great culture because of those things. So I you know, I can't say that things aren't different. I mean, we, we grow in shape with the times, but um, any advice that I would give, because I've been asked this a lot, is I would scrutinize doing a partnership with the utmost scrutiny i mean i i think i would in the same way you're treating if you're single and you're dating right you date somebody sometimes for like a year and then you break up because it just isn't working the same kinds of things happen with business partnerships on a very platonic level and, and uh you know my my four partners were all uh, great men all of them were were male and we had good we had good friendships and, and things were working good. We all, like I said, thought we were all headed the same direction. And, and uh, but I think it's important to discuss some of those pieces that maybe you don't want to before making a commitment. And so I think the things that matter on deciding whether or not it is the right move to take a partner is number one, are you just bringing them in because they have some ideas? Or are you bringing them in because they have financial backing? or is it because they're actually providing a value that you can't have on your own? And you have to decide how much it's worth having a partner that can do those things versus hiring an employee or another company to do that for you. The second thing is, is just because someone's headed the same direction as you doesn't qualify them to be a partner. I think you have to consider that you will spend just as much, if not more time with your business partners than you will with a spouse or your kids. And I think sometimes that viewpoint gets undervalued or or underlooked at. And so I think that there are value in having partnerships, whether that's relationships or money, or the like I said, the the fact that they can do something that maybe you wouldn't be able to and you would have to hire out otherwise. Um, but I think that some of the things you have to talk about in detail is what do goals look like? Where are you guys headed? What ultimately do you want to have happen in the next 12 months or three years or five years or 10 years? And what does that look like? And could that be that we build it up to a certain point and then we kind of get hands off with the team run it on its own or just you know touch and go here and there, but not really involved in the day-to-day or is that that we need to be in the day-to-day every day or whose responsibility is what? And that you kind of just stick to those things. And I think the most important piece that will save you if you decide to get into a business partnership um, is make sure that everything you want or that you agree to gets put in writing and signed. Verbal commitments, I've I've had several situations in my life where somebody has verbally made a commitment, been very gung-ho, very strong about it. And then they just, for whatever reason, Change their mind. And that has come back to bite me a few times. And so I would counsel that if you're looking at doing a partnership, make sure that everything that you want to do that should be handled, uh, whether it's goals or culture or an operating agreement or how you exit or how decisions are made, it's all in writing so that you both have it clearly written down, not what you remember or, uh, or what have you and uh, that's that's actually one thing i've i've admired i think Brent about you and Colin is that you guys have done that really well over the last you know 18 years or so and, uh, and and it i'm sure you've had your disagreements but but by and large it seems like you guys are a pretty cohesive team and i think in our agency my partner miles and i are a really great team he is all the pieces that i am not and so i value his feedback and his relationship and his viewpoints, because he often shows me where I'm wrong or something I haven't thought of, which um, is humbling and needed. Uh And, uh, and, and so I think that again, scrutinize the, the need for a partner or not, and then make sure you get it all in writing.
0: Yeah, I. That's a great point. I actually, even Cullen and myself, we we still will, ah, uh, will will talk about a point, we'll make a decision, and then put it down. Because whenever it would come up to like something, and we're like, well, I thought it was this. Well, I thought it was this, and then we'd go back into the discussion. We'd have to rehash it. So it was just much easier to be like, hey, here's what we talked about. This is the decision we came to. This is kind of like how how it uh how it arrived there and, and and yeah i feel ultimately fortunate to have that you know sort of partnership boy i and maybe you could uh back me up on this or tell me your viewpoint but i feel like open communication and very you know and, and 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 trying to get down to the nuts and bolts of things like but communication is key and if you don't have good communication you know with either that uh that person or those people um that can just be completely disruptive you know
1: what? i think the uh A layer to add to that because I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Communication is critical. If you can't have good communication, don't do a partnership. Just don't. But I think that the key is, is not just having good communication because I think you can tell somebody anything you want to at any time. I think it's being open and real, authentic and raw with your feelings in advance because maybe you think something should be done in a certain way and your partner and you openly discuss it should be done in a different way if you don't come out with here's why i think it should be done this different way then you're always going to regret it it's always going to be a thorn in your side and so always being open with your communication in honesty and full transparency i think is so valuable is it hard to do yeah it is Because sometimes i tell things to my partner that i don't think he wants to hear and vice versa i think he tells me things that i don't want to hear whether there's a difference between want and need i need to hear it i may not want to and that's what i love about about my partner so it isn't just about that i think it's having that full open honest transparency where you can have a good communication line so not just communicating but communicating with real emotion not hiding anything I think it's so valuable. And when you have a partner that you both are open and transparent about, that's the only way I think you can truly win and be happy and not have to worry about being sideswiped with an ulterior, ulterior motive or agenda. That's my opinion. Anyways.
0: I agree. I feel like you could, couldn't have said it better. Um, Well, uh, last question I have before we get into like, maybe just some open, you know, quick topics here is like, you know, in working for companies of all sizes and putting together, you know, campaigns, you know, large and small, um, in your opinion, uh, you know, are there a lot of similarities, uh, in like, you know, the tactics, um, or, you know, the approach or strategy? um based on you know the organizations you're working with so basically like you know do you find yourself doing you know similar sort of things for campaigns large and small just scaled or does it become you know completely different at a certain scale at, or size Um, and, and I'm wondering, this is loaded only because like, I, I have some thoughts personally myself, but you know, obviously, yeah, you told me the other day about some like crazy big retailers that you were doing campaigns for, but, um, but that's why I'm wondering, you know, is there a through line between small campaigns and big campaigns or not?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that there is, and, and here's what I've discovered is that I think that by and large, there's a lot of similarities, whether I'm doing, Google ads for an e-commerce company or a lawyer, or like I said, a med spa or uh, a real estate agent, the type of things that we practice or look for, I think is down in a process. Like, uh, but it's a development of process over time. I don't think that it's a, Hey, just do X, Y, and Z. And then you just sit back and watch it. I think it's, you do x y and z until you get to a point and then you kind of make a transformation and then you kind of restart that x y and z to a point and you sort of grow and mold it one of the best examples i could give is uh i feel like of most agencies out there we have a particular affinity to be super fantastic at google ads like that is just something we kill it at compared to most other agencies now, I genuinely think that most other agencies out there try to do a good job. I really do. But there's a progression that happens. And that progression is, and I'll give an example with a, a client of ours, they manufactured furniture and they would ship it all over the US. And they found that um, they were just targeting the US. And one of the, one of the hacks that we talk about a lot with our clients but um, kind of openly is i think the number one thing that holds companies back from being able to do well in google ads is something called segmentation they kind of group stuff too too much together too broad too too big and they lack the fine tuned or the fine night controls or levers that that can make something work out really well And so just a highlight of an example that this this furniture company was shipping all over the U S they were just targeting the U S and we had, they had set up a couple of campaigns where we jumped in to take over. I think they were spending about 85 grand a month in their Google ad spend and they weren't doing a bad job, but their cost per acquisition was somewhere in the neighborhood of about six or $700. And that's, that's pretty high. But I mean, I think that they would make an average of anywhere from 1100 to $3,000 profit Per customer, so they could afford to do that. It was going okay. But there were certainly some inefficiencies. And so one of the things we started to do was break up their campaigns, and we started it out by breaking it up by location. And so the first, and and I and I tell you this because there's a progression of things that happened, not because it all happened at once, but we broke the account up into an east and west side. Of the united states so we had an eastern campaign that was everything east of the mississippi and a western campaign and then within that western campaign we could start to uh figure out where were some of the sales coming from now one of the challenges of this company is that they were based uh, out of the western u.s and so shipping their big furniture to new york city or to orlando florida or to uh, uh minneapolis minnesota came at a higher cost than if they would ship it to say las vegas or los angeles or or even salt lake city their shipping was lower and so if we had more sales closer to where their facility was we could save a few hundred dollars on shipping and so one of the things we figured out was that there were certain states where if they did it by volume the shipping really didn't matter that much and so then we took it from the east west campaigns and we found that there were I want to say five or six states in the East that made up like 80% of their revenue from the Eastern US. And so then we would make a campaign for each of those states while excluding them from the Eastern campaign. And then, same thing from the West, like California and Utah and Arizona had like 80% of their sales from the West. And so we created a campaign for each of those states and then excluded them from the Western. So now we had still had an Eastern and a Western, but then we had like four states from the West had their own campaign and six states from the East had their own campaign and we could ramp and control budget by each of those campaigns based on their performance and what we would expect to sell. So uh, then we got to a point where it ultimately made it out at some point, it was a development to where every state had its own campaign and then we and then we got to a point and so there's 50 campaigns or well there might have been a couple more but about 50 campaigns that's a that's a pretty large that's a large amount to manage and the beauty of it was is that we were able to get about three or four times the revenue um, that they were getting before meaning we dramatically dropped their cost per acquisition and then we were able to get their ad spend budget down from about eighty five thousand down to about like fifty five thousand while doing the same thing, and so it worked out really good. And then we found out there were certain states that certain styles of furniture or certain keywords performed really well, with, but that wouldn't work in every state. And uh, anyway, so just how the progression of learning these things and breaking out these campaigns came to mean a couple hundred percent increase in efficiency, helped this company grow. And and I would say coupled with SEO that we were doing for them also took this company from about four and a half million dollars in one year to five years later they were doing about twenty two and a half million dollars while reducing their ad spend budget and uh, they grew their company from I think like a hundred employees at the beginning to like two hundred and fifty there towards the end and uh, anyways that the progression of these things matters because everybody is a little bit different in where they are on that timeline scale of how far developed they are or how much data they've collected and what they've learned or haven't learned and i think the processes remain the same i think it's the details of each of those that change and ultimately we have a belief that nobody running any google ads should have any less than like five or six campaigns that's for people who have really tiny budgets all the way up to maybe it's a couple hundred campaigns. Um, And each of those campaigns have a number of ad groups and each of those ad groups have a number of keywords and ads. And so our rule of thumb, if we get to an ideal account is where we have um, multiple campaigns and each campaign has maybe one or maybe two ad groups in the campaign. And each of those ad groups have, and and this is where people kind of ask me if I'm crazy, but each of those ad groups have between one and four keywords max. So we have very fine tuned and what I would call segmented. And this is all just in Google ads. You can do the same kinds of things with, with SEO and the same kinds of things with social media and the same kinds of concepts supported through your website and through some of the video you produce, uh, et cetera. So I don't know. I think that the processes remain the same. I think the fine tuned details will change based on where people are in their in their journey. Sometimes we're starting fresh from a startup uh, with the company, or sometimes it's, they've gone through five digital marketing agencies in the last eight years, and we're just the next one in line. But we seem to go- do a good job and kind of bring it all together and and start getting some results. But uh, everybody's along in a different way. And so we just kind of look at where they are and what they might be missing. And um, the, last, the last piece I'll put on that, because it's kind of an extended answer is, is that everybody we work with is not put into a package or into an assembly line the status of where people are in their digital marketing journey the industry that they're in the goals that they have the age they've been around etc 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 is so unique to everybody and so we have to do an assessment of where they are find um, find out specifically what it is that they want to achieve and then we kind of just reverse engineer those steps and that's that's what we propose it's not a package meaning hey we're going to produce so much information for you or so many links or do so many hours of work it's it's really customized and everything changes month over month but i believe that that's one of the reasons why we're so successful definitely
0: oh wow i i I couldn't endorse that path more yeah because like i feel like there's things that can certainly contribute to better more success as you get data in, as you learn, as you figure things out, as opposed to just being like, "Hey, it's a factory. This is how we operate. This is what we do. It's you know this and this and this." Uh, there, there's so many things that I feel like have nuance to them that it's important to pay attention to in order to grow a real competent or you know um, effective strategy. And, and, and I, I, really also like, you know, the answer you gave to about like, you know, the, uh, um, and if you don't mind me applying this word, but art- articulation of like, you know, where you're really honing in some of those ad campaigns on, because I feel like it is, it's super important to, um, to make sure that, you know, uh, you're thinking about things more granularly, you know, cause like, as you try to, you know, uh, create these giant campaigns, um, it, it and and as you mentioned bringing the spend down from like 85,000 to 55,000 but looking at metrics like you know what is the you know um the the overall uh return there you know how, how much are they making in certain geographies based on like you know the actual cost of shipping or something those are the kind of things that i feel like you know paying attention to the details pays off. Um, You know, it's not about just like the, the kind of pray and spray approach. And anybody can theoretically create an AdWords campaign. But you know, it's frequently that we get in, we're like, Oh, my God, why is the CPC, you know, so bad on this? Or like, you know, yeah, why is like, you know, the engagement so bad on these landing pages? And then you you see, you know, by paying attention to the details, it helps you make those adjustments to where it is. It's just getting a little more finely tuned, like you said, uh, making sure that, you know, you're, you're just paying attention to the facts and putting it back into better strategy moving forward.
1: You know, uh, the other piece that I want to point out in that explanation that came to mind is, and and I might get some hate for saying this, and, and I hope, oh, good. good maybe, maybe I hope we do, right? Yeah. Yeah the idea for most agencies isn't let's reduce their ad spend. I think that they're reducing their ad spend came from several measures. Number one is uh, SEO was kicking in and they didn't need as much uh, Google ad spend. I think the other thing is, is the efficiencies we picked up with doing segmentation. But, you know, ultimately that meant that because their ad spend went down, that we collected less than service fees from them. And that to some agency owners is gonna be like, hey, well, that's really counterproductive. I disagree and here's why. I feel the value of working with somebody over a long period of time far trumps the ability to collect a number amount of money upfront. And I go into a relationship with somebody thinking or feeling and trying to express that, I just want to win for you. Because if I put your priorities ahead of mine, if I do the right thing, if we make right choices, then you and I get to be friends for a long time. And that's more valuable to me than trying to continually cycle through new clients all the time. I want to get a client. I want to perform a good quality service. And I want to keep them feeling like they can't not afford to keep me retained because I've earned my value. And so getting them to spend less over time because they don't need it a win huge win in my book because then i think they're going to be with me a lot longer
0: yeah yeah for sure um definitely and it's about customer lifetime value not only for you know you as an agency but for the customer you know what what are what are you bringing on the table that really makes that difference well um that's great i i appreciate that i know that we've uh it this podcast, I don't, I don't want to go too long, but I know that I, I'd like to at least dive into one of the topics that you brought up, because I feel like these are great. Uh, and and we could probably have 20 more podcasts, as you mentioned, like right? just going <laughs> into some of these topics, and they're really good. Because uh, you know honestly, I feel like some of these things to you know assess and talk openly about are really important. By the way, I appreciate all your transparency and all the answers uh, you know that you've given so far, whether it be on the you know business partner thing, running campaigns and stuff. I, I really appreciate that. but'll uh, I'll toss this out there as like you know maybe the the topic uh, you know for for us to, to have a little open you know debate on. but is SEO still important uh, and what does uh, SEO in 2024 look like?
1: You know, I, uh, I remember in 2008 when Facebook was really rearing its head and becoming a lot, really popular. And I, I remember thinking like, Hey, this is really valuable. We should get involved in this and right about probably three or four months after Facebook and Twitter were becoming a big deal hearing people say, oh, this is social media, SEO is dead. And here we are, it's 2024. Um, The SEO spend has grown dramatically, I want to say that uh, the estimates are that there's about 100 billion in the industry on SEO. Whereas back in 2008, it was something like 12 billion. Or something like that so it's grown like 8x since then and then a little over a year ago ai hit the market right with chat gpt and everybody's got some other different ai platforms and you've heard it so many times oh seo is dead like ai's taken over it's really going to make things tough i remember when TikTok started growing like crazy and they're like oh you know it's going to be the killer of facebook it's going to be the killer of of seo and now a TikTok seo has become kind of a thing sort of a flash in the pan thing it isn't sustainable it isn't going to stick around and, and it's funny how TikTok is really changing a lot now i bring all these up <clears throat> because i feel like that every time somebody says something like what's the value of SEO in 2024 and is it even important anymore? Can't AI just do it all? The real answer is, is that I don't think, and this is just a very personal opinion. Now keep in mind, I am a social media junkie. I spend far too much time. I know my, my wife would agree with that doing social media, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. And the surprising thing is, is in 2024, Facebook is coming back. Like it's, rearing its head again as a, as a second wind, right. And Instagram hasn't really fallen that much. And TikTok is losing a little bit of traction, but still growing, right? YouTube is bigger than it's ever been. LinkedIn is crazy. Like in 2015, who would have thought that things like this would have changed? In in all of this consumption of opinions and media, there are a few opinions that I hold. Uh, I think, in higher regard than others, that give more weight than others. But I don't think you'll find from anybody credible that SEO is dead. I think that you'll find it's probably far more important today than it ever has been. I think AI made everybody step up their game a little bit because you can take the relaxed and easy way and just have AI do everything. But I think that the part that everyone doesn't realize is you can see AI written content, you can identify it. And if I can identify it myself personally, software could do it better than I can. And uh, and so it's it's a known fact at this point that Google knows the difference between human written content and AI content, no matter how much instruction you give it. That's just an AI cre- created videos or images. Those are all things that are easy to identify and uh, and you can pass judgment on. But what happens is I think the people who are on top of their SEO game are probably more valuable or more important today than they ever have been. And I think that they'd be stupid not to take advantage of pieces of that AI can provide. So I think that the, the adaptation of using AI is so important. And I think figuring out how to use it is fantastic. And, and there's a huge world of uh, discovery and advancement in that end. We are nowhere near a point where anybody is going to be obsolete um, because of AI. I think it just enhances jobs. Now, I'm not saying in the future that couldn't change, but I am saying that in 2024, you will find, and I will stand behind these words, SEO is far more important than any other digital marketing service out there, bar none. I think social media matters. I think paid search matters. I think video matters. I think content matters. But take it from somebody who's been doing this for 18 years, we produce far more results and revenue for any of our clients, e-commerce, a lawyer, a doctor, a flower shop, anybody. We produce far more leads and revenue for our clients via SEO than anything else, period. And that's like a huge exclamation point but I do think that everything has its place and I do. And look, we have clients that we only do social media for. We have clients that we only do Google ads for or that we've just built a website for or that we just do some videos and they all see benefit. But the ones that do SEO with us long-term see the most benefit absolutely
0: yeah that's where we get hundreds and hundreds of percent gain like you know year over year and you can tell that the traction that the company makes is um you know obviously it's it's impressive it paces what you know seo is doing and like as seo continues to work for them their company continues to like you know grow and things continue to get better and that's where i feel like you know like the the efficacy of it is, is certainly in the numbers and and just you know watching things over time i'm really glad that you addressed the seo is dead point um i feel like it's hilarious that people keep saying that i guess they keep saying it for like clickbait i don't know yeah just for attention i think yeah it's just like such a silly thing and i'm like why you know like it's it as long as there is google you know until something wild happens like you know there's you know been plenty of like lawsuits against google for like you know anti-competitive practices there's been obviously they you know like there's that There could be something maybe in the future that lawmakers decide to do about Google that could disrupt SEO. Will it make it go away? No, you know, but I, I think in general, it's just it's really uh as long as there are people searching for things, there's going to be a need for people to make sure that they are visible like it's it you know it's kind of like if sign makers went out of business and people on the street of businesses had no more signs on their building like you know like you you, like what would you do like there there's no way to see that those businesses are there on the street so i definitely i feel the same way about seos that it's like you know so critical for helping people get visible we're talking to a company right now that like all their competition uh basically they're 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 invisible theoretically and like you know that old adage of where do you you know bury a body on the second page of google and it's like yeah. you know like all their competition they're on the first page and you know this isn't saying like oh we're guaranteeing results or anything like that but it's like if they don't get next to their competition they're losing business like it is it's you know it, it's or it would stand as
1: be that there's business to be gained by being there
0: yeah yeah definitely um And so I I don't know. um, But I'm really also glad that you brought up things about AI too, because like, I don't think that's, you know, sort of taking uh, the SEO quote, you know, quote, unquote, out of the equation of like, Oh, well, now all of it's solved, I can have it write all my content, I can have it do all of my strategy, I can have it, you know, like produce all those things. And like, For sure, I guess you could, Um, you know, and and if that's where, you know, you feel like you want to put your trust and your faith is having, you know, GPT come up with like, you know, what you should be doing as an organization, go ahead. You know that that is okay. But where I feel like, you know, it's helpful to have it as an augment, uh, you know, to where it can do. More in a shorter period of time than people can, and that's a, a wonder and a help, and it and it can definitely be you know really good in terms of SEO. Uh, a- actually, where we found the most benefit is uh, topic idea generation. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like that was revolutionary for like, you know, SEOs to where you might, you know, spend time trolling articles or going searching other people's, you know, like competitors blog posts, or you might be doing industry or trade pubs or something to figure out what are people talking about? You know, this will literally give you some ideas in seconds where before you would have to scour the internet to get those things. So that was extraordinarily helpful. But just like you're saying, in terms of like content, That's where I feel like the real challenge is, is that, you know, like discerning as a human, you know, hey, this is good, vital, important content that I should be reading and I can interpret, you know, really well. And that is telling me what I need to know. I feel like that's where the balance uh, has to be struck between a person, you know, who understands the industry, the topic, what needs to be communicated to the user, not just letting GPT, you know, theoretically take over on, on on conveying all of that, um, not only for the factual sort of point of the information, but literally for what is your article trying to do? You know, is it trying to sell? Is it trying to get people, you know, top of the funnel, mid funnel, like what, what is yeah. it really trying to do? And theoretically, just with, you know, you mentioned about any amount of instruction, you know, you can you can put in there. you know, you can articulate those things, but it's not going to be the same as if you have somebody who's like, you know, uh, who who understands the sensibilities of the users who are consuming that content. So I feel like, I I love the idea of what it can do data analytics. Oh my God, it can do so many things, uh, you know, that that if you don't have a data analyst on the team, that maybe it could give you insights and pointers. AI, I feel like is going to be vital to the SEO moving forward. um, But oh boy, especially in this year, uh, you know, there's there's nothing that it can do so far that I'm like, Oh, nope, it's taking somebody's job. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) And and I think there's a couple of other case in points that that uh, I don't know how many or how much people recognize this. But do you remember, was it three or four years ago, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook was in front of Congress at hearings talking about privacy clauses and that uh, it's a problem and he was ordered to pay some ridiculous fine, because they're collecting more data than they let on. The issue behind that is that I think that they went after let's call it the second or third or fourth largest person collecting information and completely missed the biggest one and it's why google has had issues in europe with these very things but the amount of information or things that facebook knows about you is sickening and and i mean that because from a privacy standpoint it's so bad they know all, all of your let's call it your dark secrets but what they lack uh, Google adds to the detail in that Google knows so much more about you than any other platform out there. So I'll just repeat from a privacy standpoint, that's horrible. But from a marketing standpoint, it's a gold mine and they don't just give us the information, but they use it when we're trying to do things like SEO and Google ads that allow us to do such finite or such fine tune targeting uh, with so many different levers on demographics and behaviors and, and types of campaigns that you can set up. And like you said, top, middle, bottom of the funnel, all those things. And that brings up one other point that I think maybe substantiates um, some of the teachings of talking about SEO. Is it, I think just yesterday or the day before or sometime the last week Neil Patel just came out with an article about, here's what SEO, people are missing out on SEO in 2024. And he has a statistic that says that over 50% of all revenue done from a Google search comes from queries that are seven words or longer. And people have so long been so focused on like, hey, I want to rank for the word vitamin, or I want to rank for the word lawyer, or I want to rank for the term you know, purses, whatever the case may be, that's not where the money is. The money is in the long tail search. 50% of all revenue is driven by seven plus words. And so becoming more detailed in your content is going to be where it's at making videos about your content and then transcribing those videos, answering questions, solving problems. And, uh, the The thing is, is that Google knows exactly who should see your content. They know exactly when they should see it. They know all about your behaviors, and they're going to match it up. So, I think, like you said, as long as Google's around, whether well, and then maybe even after if Google isn't around, I think SEO is going to matter long into the future from here.
0: Totally, absolutely uh cool i appreciate those points and oh man that makes me want to jump to way more stuff but i know that there's probably infinite number of podcasts and i took a note actually (laughs) here for another one which is uh you know privacy which you brought up and you know the cookie list world which is obviously you know has changed the nature of you know how we target or how we think about targeting versus maybe some of the old methodologies and uh anyway see we got so much more to talk about Nathan. oh my gosh (laughs) we should we yeah. <laughs> uh all right. Well, um I, I I do. I look forward to continuing this here in the near future. Uh but I have to tell you, yeah, thank you again for like you know all of your great answers. Uh you know, some great discussion here and uh and really honestly for for being a a friend, you know, for so long cuz uh it's fun to do this uh a podcast after knowing you for so long. So thank you. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we did this. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, this has been another episode of mix and matchbox. I'm your host Brent Feldman. Uh, Please subscribe and like and stay tuned for more content. Thanks.